All right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I know everybody's still coming in from taking the kids back to their classes. Uh, we'll just go ahead and jump in, and we'll begin with a, just a word of prayer. If you'll join me, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for gathering your people together uh, in this place. Um, we thank you for Jesus, who's come for us, who's uh, displayed your great love for us, who's saved us from sin and death, and who's called us to be one, who's, who's made us a family, who's brought us here together. I pray that everything that we do this morning in, uh, in the preaching of your word and in the songs that we sing and in communion and just every aspect of everything we do, would you glorify Jesus here this morning? Would you make him known to us uh, that we would, we would know who he is and that we would be transformed by that and, and that we would make him known? Um, Lord, I pray that over the next few minutes you just say what you want to say to each one of us, that you have each one of us here, what you want us to hear, and that your Holy Spirit will do the work of transforming our hearts to be more like you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So do you ever find yourself wondering, like, what exactly it is that we're doing here? I mean, like, right here. What is it that we're doing here on Sunday mornings? What, why, why are we part of the church? Why do we gather on Sundays and sing songs together and hear somebody talk from the stage? Why do we gather during the week in missional communities and small groups? It's the beginning of the new year, and so I figure everybody's asking you, to like buy into their goals this year. They're asking you to make them uh, your own, asking for your time, asking for your resources and energy, asking for your money. Your job has its priorities, your health, your family, your hobbies, and your church. Right? We, we all want a piece of you. So I think it's fair if you find yourself like just kind of asking or wondering, what are, we, what are we doing here? What's the point again? Or maybe you're new to the church and, and you're wondering the same thing. Maybe you're here just giving it a chance, trying to see if you can kind of sort out that answer. Honestly, I ask myself these same questions sometimes. What, what am I doing? Why am I giving so much of my life to, to, to the church? What's the point? And maybe that seems like a little weird, a little bit maybe even discomforting uh, for a pastor to find himself asking what it's all about. But I tend to believe that I'm, I'm the same as anybody else and that we share a lot of the same tendencies. And, and I find that one of the most shared human tendencies is that we are all forgetful. We are forgetful. We forget. Even the things that matter the very most to us, we forget them. Like loving parents have forgotten momentarily to pick up their kids from school or let them at a gas station on a road trip or something like that. Not me, but some of you probably have. Spouses forget anniversaries, right? And we forget birthdays, and we forget Valentine's Day, which is coming up in about a month, if you need to know that. I know I'm forgetful when it comes to my relationship with God. I know that that's true about me. And so actually I, I have like all sorts of different notes uh, uh, just and different art and stuff like that that's meant to like serve as reminders to me of the truth about who God is and what he's like and how he loves me and how he directs me but I forget to look at those things pretty often. And so I forget all over again. We forget. We're forgetful people. And so this morning, I just want to help us remember why we're doing this. Why are we part of the church? Why, why do we make so much room in our lives to do this together? 
This morning we're starting a three-week sermon series. Uh, I'm kind of entitling it Life Together. That's that's taken from a Dietrich Bonhoeffer book about Christian community, but but this isn't a study about that book. Rather, we're going to be considering a few scriptures uh, over the next few weeks and how they may be directing us in our Christian community, in our church. We're going to talk a little bit about what the church is not. We're going to imagine a little bit about what it could be or what we will be. And this morning, I just want to help us remember what this is all about. And I hope to help us sort of wonder for a bit at the absolute miracle of the church, at the miracle of the family of God. Now, one of my my favorite passages in Scripture is 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. Uh, If you've been here for, for a while, chances are you've heard me reference it before. I really like it. It just says a lot to me. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, if you want to follow along with me, turn to it, or we'll have it on the screen as well. And it says this. It says, but, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Listen specifically again to verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You were not a people, but now you're God's people. You had no mercy, and now you have mercy. It's enough to just read that and and consider what Peter is saying. I think we can wonder at the miracle of the family of God for quite some time just considering exactly what's written there. Like, we weren't a people. Now we're God's people. We're chosen. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a people for his own possession, meaning we are his. We are his children. There's so much there. One thing that I I continually find remarkable is the truth that we have been united with others as a family Others who weren't connected to us, others who may have even been our enemies. Jesus died and he rose again, and the salvation he provides for each one of us individually also makes us part of something together. We could go on and on just taking this verse, I think, at face value and finding a ton of good news, but there's something that I do want us to dig into this morning. You were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had no mercy, but now you have mercy. Peter's language here in 1 Peter is intentionally recalling an Old Testament reference found in the minor prophet of Hosea. At the end of the Old Testament, which is is what we call uh, the books written in the Bible before the time of Jesus, right? There's several small books that kind of in that section of the Bible, they're referred to as the minor prophets. We spent a couple years going through all of those books just a few, a few years back. And Hosea is the first one of those books. And it's full of really some pretty shocking stuff. And if, if you don't know it or you don't remember it, Hosea was a prophet in Israel at, the time, at a time when Israel was, was enjoying some power, enjoying some prosperity. But they weren't living the way that God had led them to live. They were adopting the Baals or the gods of other cultures, and they were worshiping idols. They were taking slaves. They were oppressing even their own poor to gain profits. 
And so God wants to speak to that. And rather than just sending Hosea in to like preach about all the things that they were doing wrong, God sends Hosea to Israel uh, in a way to make his own life an object lesson. So God has Hosea marry a prostitute who is named Gomer. And she isn't faithful to him, just as Israel wasn't faithful to God. But God leads Hosea to continue being faithful to Gomer, to continually like love her unconditionally. And there's a lot to the story, a lot of things that God is saying to Israel in Hosea's story that we can't get to this morning. But in the first chapter, we find that Gomer has three children. And the first is Hosea's child, and its name is Jezreel. And the name Jezreel is symbolic. It's meant to remind the people of Israel of the former king, Jehu, and how he killed Joram and Amaziah and Jezebel and the 70 sons of Ahab in the city of Jezreel. It's meant to remind Israel of their continued like bend toward violence, of her continued broken relationship with God and with others, and her continued sin. But there's two more children with symbolic names as well. And here's, here's where we find the language that Peter was drawing on in 1 Peter 2.10. So let me just read this. It's from, first, it's from Hosea 1, 6 through 10. She, Gomer, conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow, or by sword, or by war, or by horses, or by horsemen. And when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet, the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. You are named not my people. You are named no mercy. I mean, there's something absolutely heartbreaking in this passage of Hosea, right? Children named for the sins of their parents. Named to signify an inheritance from God that they will not receive. But it's in light of this heartbreaking story that we hear some really good news in 1 Peter 2.10. You were not my people, but now you are God's people. You had no mercy, but now you have mercy. And what Peter is saying is that through the person and work of Jesus Christ, there is some kind of miraculous like restoration that has happened. Right? In Hosea, God said Israel was like out of the will, basically, that Judah would be favored. But when he says Israel will have no mercy and will not be his people, he also says the word yet. Hosea 1.10, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured in number. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. Now just take a breath for a minute because that statement actually pulls us deeper into the story and we're going we're gonna to follow the thread just a little bit. When God says that they will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, he's recalling his promise to Abraham, way back in the very first book of the Bible, back in Genesis, where God called Abraham out 
who's an old man without children. And God promised that Abraham and his barren wife, Sarah, would have children and that their descendants would be numbered like the sand of the sea. And with that promise was the promise that through this family, God would bless all the nations of the earth. So when God says to Israel back in Hosea that they are not his people, he can also say yet, because even though they're out, right, because of their continued sin and idolatry and their continued oppression of others, he can still say yet, because his promises are still good. The story he has always been telling is still being told. And in the end, all the nations will be blessed by God. All the nations will be beneficiaries of the person and the work of Jesus. All the nations will be invited into the family of God. He can say yet because it's his story, and he knows it from beginning to end, and it's never changed. Now, for a minute, I'm just going to invite you to, like, sit and just, like, wonder with me for a moment as we talk about God's whole story. If you need a reminder or, or maybe you're new to the story of the Bible, let me just tell you, like, how it begins and how it ends and how all this kind of fits together. In the beginning, in the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning of God's story, God spoke. And by his word, he created all like, really, he spoke, God spoke, and his word created all things. I know that might sound really out there, might sound fictitious. I don't believe it is. If you want to talk more about that, grab me and we'll talk some more. Uh, but here's the deal with him speaking all things into being. Like, his word didn't just come out and create a bunch of random stuff for no reason. His word created all of this stuff to tell a story, to tell of who God is, to tell of what he's like, to make himself known. And when he created us, the Bible says that he created man and he created woman in his own image. In his own image, he created them. That's what the Bible says. So God created us as unique individuals, man and woman, very different. But he also created us to be in right relationship with one another. In his own image, he created them. And from the very beginning of the story, God's idea was to make himself known through all of creation in his image that what he is really like is best reflected specifically through us and through our being together. By our being in right relationship with God and being in right relationship with one another. If you know the story, Adam and Eve ate the fruit. They broke the right relationship with God. Cain killed Abel, his brother, demonstrating the deeply broken relationship between people who were supposed to be a family. So the question is, is did God's design fail? Certainly not. Like the scripture says in Isaiah, God's word won't return void. Right? Nothing that God says will ultimately say anything other than exactly what he means it to say. And the truth is, is that this whole story he's telling has said from the very start what he means it to say. And it will say it the way that he means it to be said. He will be known through all of this exactly as he is for, what he, for who he is and what he's like. We could turn to the end. Revelation 
It's the last book of the Bible. It tells how the story will end. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 12 says this. It says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and nation, or in language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads upon myriads and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The picture there is we together, people of every tribe and language and nation and people will make him known. That means we will glorify him uh, precisely as he created us to do it, as one people. So Hosea who made God known to Israel with his entire life, not just like with his words, right? He pointed to a God who would step into his own words, so to speak, as Jesus, the word who became flesh, as one scripture says it. Jesus became one of us so that all of us would know exactly who God is and what he's like. Look, God said to Israel in Hosea 1-7, which we just read, I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by horses or by war or by horsemen. God's story never changes. His word never fails. And what he said he would do is exactly what he has done. The Lord came to save us. And it wasn't by a sword or by war or by horsemen, but with his own life. He saved us back to our created purpose to make God known. Yes, individually but ultimately in our togetherness. Jesus came and saved us from sin and death, and he restored our relationship to God, which was broken in the garden by Adam and Eve. But what Peter is letting us in on back in 1 Peter chapter 2 is that he also made a way for all of us who were not God's people to be called God's people. He made a way for all of us to come into the family of God and to experience like restored relationship with one another. And it isn't like a take it or leave it type of thing. It's all bound up together. We're saved into the family of God. Now, I've gone through all of this in order just to answer this question. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? What's the point? Why are we part of the church? And so here's the answer. It's because the church is God's design for making himself known. The church is God's design for making himself known. And when I say that the church is God's design, I'm not talking about a worship service, and I'm not talking about like a building with a cross on the front. I'm talking about people who were not a family being made into a family together. I'm talking about people recognizing that God's design was to make himself known through our unique individuality being bound up with one another in unity and in togetherness. That there's something in that that images God most fully. Also, when I say that his design is to make himself known through us together, I'm not talking about like outreach programs or the number of conversions and baptisms uh, that, that we can produce together. I mean, that's certainly part of it, right? But but I also mean that God is continuing to make himself known to each one of us through our togetherness, through our commitment to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Jesus is making himself known to us through that. At Redemption Church, we, we say often, we want to make the real Jesus known by being honest about our failures, loving the way that he loves, uh, serving the city for the good of all, and inviting everybody into the family of God. We're certainly not claiming that Redemption Church is like a stranglehold on the truth about who the real Jesus is. That, that, like we're the only ones who really know who he is or anything like that. It's, it's not like that at all. What we're saying is that the church is God's idea, that it's his design for making himself known to every one of us, and that our intention here is to submit to God's big and very beautiful idea. And so we're just going to commit together to, to pursue God together and to try to live this life together because we believe that's his way. And we believe there's a place for anybody and everybody to get in on this and to be a part of it. And so that's the invitation I'm just going to put out there this morning. We want anybody and everybody to be a part of this with us. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I, I hope that you've heard the good news this morning, that Jesus Christ loves you deeply and that he died and that he rose again to free you from sin, to restore you to your created purposes, and to bring you into the family of God. You're welcome here always. And if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to have that conversation, we'd love to help you walk, walk through that decision. You can grab me during your time response. You can grab somebody else that maybe you know. If you're a Christian, like I said at the beginning, I know everybody and everything is asking for you to buy into their thing, especially at this time of year. We're going to ask you to be a part of some things as well. But I'm trying to let you in on the why of it. I'm hoping to help us remember that this idea of doing life together as Christians is God's idea. It's God's design. We were not a people, but in Christ we have been made God's own people. And we who are in Christ are bound to one another as brothers and sisters in this family. And like 1 Peter 2.9 says, we were brought out of the darkness into his marvelous light so that we could proclaim his excellencies together. And we wholeheartedly believe that, that his idea and, and, and his design is to make himself known through our pursuing him and doing this life together. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be asking all of you to get connected with a missional community if you're not already connected with a missional community. A missional community, it consists of a group of people who aim to live life uh, together like a family, to serve one another in our community like Jesus, and to seek to be on mission together in the everyday stuff of life. And as a church striving together to know and to make known the real Jesus, missional communities are really the primary means through which we equip and mobilize people to do that. So we have several options. I think there's four or five uh, missional communities. You're free to go check any of them out over the coming weeks as we're kind of ramping up in this new year just to kind of see where you might work best. There's a schedule actually in the back on that table of every MC, where they meet, what their contact information is, what they're doing throughout the month of January, when would be a good time for you to go hang out, all that kind of stuff. So you can grab that uh, schedule back there. And if you're new here, I I'd love to, to meet right after the service, right over here in this corner, you can meet me. We're going to have a, a quick meet and greet. Uh, it's just a chance for us to say hi and then for me to give you some of that information uh, and maybe some other next steps for getting connected here. That's the ask this morning.
get connected, be a part of missional community. Not because like we do it right and we got the thing going on, but because this is our way of submitting to God's plan and God's design. So as we close, I just want to call us back to wondering at the miracle and the beauty of the church family, to wondering at the miracle of the body of Christ. It's a blessing that we're here this morning, that somehow this group of people is here to do life together. We certainly once were not a people, but we are now God's people. We once had not received mercy, but now we have received God's mercy which means we've met the deep kindness and compassion of God. And he's filling us up with it so that it flows into us and through us and out of us into the church and into our communities to make the real Jesus known everywhere and to everyone, inviting everybody into the family of God. We're going to move into a time of response. There's a few things we do each week at Redemption that we want to invite you into. The band will come, and they'll continue to lead us in singing and worship through song. Um, We're also going to come, and we're going to take communion, uh, which we do each week also. And as you come, you can, uh, we have a giving basket in the back here where you can give your tithes and offerings. And we just like to make a point every week to say, hey, this isn't just a call for you to give us our money, and it's not just a thing that we want to, I mean, everybody doesn't even give that way anyway. A lot of it just slips out of our account, right? We just want to draw our attention back to that act of worship and to give you a moment to pause and remember that God is our provider and that we just worship him for that, okay? So we invite you to do that. There's some ways to give listed back there as well. And then we're going to come and we're going to take communion. If you're a follower of Christ, whether you come to redemption or a member of redemption uh, or not, we invite you to come uh, because as we come, and we take this bread and we dip it in the wine or the juice. Uh, we're, we're coming and taking what is the body of Christ that was given for us. We're taking the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And we're remembering that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. That he stepped into his own story to say exactly what he has always been saying. And that he's rescued us from our sin and from death, but he's also made us into the family of God. We're proclaiming that truth together as we remember. And we're proclaiming it in our actual deeds as well. So we just want to invite you to come and to take and remember Christ and proclaim this truth together. I'm going to pray for us and we'll move into this time. Our Father, I mean, even even that, as we just talked about the Lord's Prayer not long ago, our Father, we call you Father because we are your children because this is your family. And you have made us a family through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God, I pray that you help us to remember this morning this truth. This is your story. That you've called us into it. That you made us for this purpose to make you known. And that we are most satisfied and most filled when we are living into your design. God, I pray that as we kind of move into 2023 as, as your people here at Redemption Church, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would just continue to make us more and more Christ-like in our individual lives and, and in our togetherness as well, and that you continue to make Jesus known to us through each other, but that you also make yourself known in our community. 
I just pray that you would be you be glorified, that you may be made known through this people, and that you give us much joy in being a part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name.